Welcome to the Luke Messias Show. Governor Abbott has now vetoed well over 70 bills and the deadline has passed, but he still won't exactly say what his plan is and we will break down the various different property tax proposals for you today. Texas Monthly has put out a statement basically begging Tony Tinderholt to be more like Briscoe Kane. And Justin Holland has decided to go to war with the Republican Party of Texas, followed by his little lieutenant, Jared Patterson. We're going to break down all of that as well. Let's get to the show. We've now surpassed over 70 bills that Governor Abbott ultimately decided to veto. This was his way of applying pressure on the Senate and the House to pass legislation that he wants to become law. There are two different policies that he's arguing about with both chambers, but his messaging is honestly all over the map. First, we'll talk about school choice. This is the one area where Governor Abbott has been consistent. He started the session saying, hey, I would like to see school choice legislation come forward. It is a priority of mine. It needs to happen. He went across the state to all these rural areas that people said, oh, well, these voters don't support school choice. We know from the ballot referendum that went on last March that they definitely support school choice. So Governor Abbott went to those districts and said, we need school choice. And since the Texas House of Representatives and leadership in the House has refused to get behind that policy and push it aggressively, he finally decided to start enacting some pain on those lawmakers, one of them being Glenn Rogers, who's a state representative from the Mineral Wells area, Palo Pinto, Stevens, and Parker County. Glenn Rogers has prided himself on being somebody who gets along with leadership, unlike all those pesky conservatives. He's one of the most liberal Republicans in the legislature. And he likes to project on conservative lawmakers that they are just people who can't get along with anyone, people who won't go along with what leadership wants. But this session, Glenn Rogers found himself being the one who was actually teaming up with Democrats, which he does often, teaming up with liberal teacher unions and saying, I want to protect the existing monopoly that is the Texas education system, the public school system in Texas, outside of charter schools, which have been able to expand considerably and give parents more choice. Most of the public education system is a monopoly run by liberal teacher unions. And without people like Glenn Rogers, they can't keep that power. And so Governor Abbott vetoed numerous Glenn Rogers pieces of legislation, Ernest Bales pieces of legislation, Travis Clardy, saying in his veto declaration, we will consider this type of policy at a later special session after we deal with school choice. So it's basically his message to them, get on board, get out of the way, stop siding with Democrats to help protect the liberal monopoly that they have. Now, secondarily, actually even primarily, because the governor really started targeting the Senate before he started targeting the House, he has targeted a lot of senators, including particularly Senator Paul Betancourt, who has been the leading property tax reformer in the Senate. Now, I want to rewind just to make sure we understand what the current differences are between the House, the Senate, and the governor. They're a little hard to understand, but let's break it down. First and foremost, we came into a legislative session with over $30 billion in surplus, and the governor never once said what his actual dollar amount of new property tax relief was that he wanted. Now, ultimately, the governor, lieutenant governor, and speaker have seemingly been all on board with the less than $13 billion they will return to taxpayers of the surplus. 
So they grew government considerably more than at any time in Texas history. We have the largest budget in Texas history. We have expanded government on almost every single level. But when it comes to property tax relief, they've left less than $13 billion to be divvied up through all property taxpayers. So all they're gonna do is they're gonna fund $5 billion of the existing compression they're giving. Just as a reminder of what compression is, it's essentially a check that the state writes to school districts and then your property taxes are subsequently lowered. But $5 billion of what they're doing has already been compressed, meaning it's your current tax bill. If they don't write that $5 billion check, your current tax bill remains, will go up automatically. And then what they're also delivering is less than $13 billion of new relief. The House pushed, Dade Phelan pushed, appraisal cap reform. That's what he wanted, across the board appraisal cap reform. And the Senate pushed homestead exemptions as part of what they wanted for overall relief delivered to Texans. Now, ultimately, what Governor Abbott did was when he came into the special session, he decided, how about this? I'm not going to side with the House on appraisals, and I'm not going to side with the Senate on homesteads. I'm going to try to get kind of cute. I'm going to go all in on compression, which is a legitimate policy position. But what he wanted, where he got cute was he tried to write the special session call as the only thing you can consider is property tax compression. He basically tried to write the bill in his special session call and tie the hands of the Senate and the House. Now, I will tell you, this is actually not a tool that the governor is afforded. He is given the ability to be the only one who can call the legislature back for a special session, but he can't write the bill in the call. So he can say, come back and deal with property tax relief. We need to deliver it to Texans, but he can't actually say, hey, you have to deliver it in exactly this way. That's the legislative process. So Dan Patrick has rightfully pushed back on that and said, no, the governor doesn't get to decide. Now, what Dade Phelan decided was, this is awesome, because it's at least not what Dan Patrick wanted. So I'm going to pass all compression and leave. So early on, Abbott basically decided, hey, that's what I'm going to push. So he was out there saying, pass an all compression bill, pass an all compression bill, pass an all compression bill. And then Dan Patrick said, look, I think that a homestead exemption should be part of the overall relief package. Now, I want to explain how this effectively works out. There is a bucket of school property taxes. It's $55 billion, okay? So $55 billion is what the state of Texas is currently collecting from all of us in the form of school property taxes. That's not your cities, counties, MUDs, PUDs, hospital districts, anything else. So of that $55 billion, what the governor said was, I want it all to be compression. You basically take all property and evenly push them down, okay? So if you have a $350,000 single family home or a $500,000 single family home, you'll get, uh, you know, on average, $700 of relief. If you own a hotel, if you own a really big office building, you're going to get substantially more property tax relief, right? Because you own a $5 million building. So you'll get thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of property tax relief. So Dan Patrick came in and said, instead of applying it evenly through all buildings and all property, all dirt, I want some of it, 
about, I think, 30% or 40% of the overall relief to be focused in on homeowners through an increase of the homestead exemption to $100,000. Now, understand this. Both plans take less than $13 billion out of the pot of $55 billion. So if you fast forward six months and some bill passes, the $55 billion pot is going to be approximately a $42 billion or a 41 point whatever billion dollar pot. About a $42 billion pot. So they're not arguing over how much relief to give to Texans. They're arguing over how to give it. So Dan Patrick came out and said, I would like to challenge the governor to a debate. He clearly has an issue he believes in. He thinks overall compression. I think some of it should be focused on homeowners. Let's publicly discuss the differences. Well, then Abbott shifted from this being his plan to putting it back on Dade as the House plan, which is really funny because he came out and said, look, the House and the Senate have different plans. They need to compromise. Now, that's basically the governor saying, look, the Senate wants to go homestead and compression. They want all compression. They have to compromise. What does that imply? There's going to be some homestead exemption increases and some compression increases. That's what it implies, but maybe not as much as Dan Patrick wants. Now, Tony Tinderhold actually tweeted about this just the other day. He literally said, Governor Abbott is asking us to compromise, but the House can't compromise if we won't even come to Austin. Dade needs to call us back so we can get to the work of finding a solution. There's tons of texts going out. Look, I have friends on both sides of this discussion. Chairman Matt Rinaldi, Dan Patrick, other conservatives have said, hey, if we're only given $12.6 billion out, then yes, we should focus more on actual homeowners because the average person who's getting literally taxed out of their home needs to get more relief. And then the other side, which is Texans for Fiscal Responsibility and Don Huffines and the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and at this point, Governor Abbott, who's you know kind of temporarily joined that team, They've said, hey, we just want all compression across the board evenly distributed. Sadly, we're not taking enough out of the bucket. And the governor, who's basically been tweeting, we need to get rid of property taxes, we need to get rid of property taxes, also just signed the budget. And we haven't exactly seen how much he line-itemed. It looks like he might have line-itemed vetoed like a handful of very small higher education programs. But other than that, it looks like the governor largely signed off on all the spending. So he is saying he wants to get rid of property taxes, but he's signing off on the budget that spends all the money and leaves just this little bit of money to actually deliver meaningful property tax relief to Texans. It's sad to watch, and the conflict is honestly getting more and more silly the longer it goes. By the way, for any of those of you who who are in North Texas, you're very familiar with Chris Salcedo, some of you in Houston as well, who have heard his radio program for a very long time. Some of you might not know that Chris Salcedo has actually brought a podcast to Texas Scorecard. It's called The Salcedo Storm. It's gotten great feedback. We've gotten a ton of great feedback from a lot of Scorecard listeners, followers, subscribers who continue to get great information from Chris Salcedo. So if you're looking at somebody, if you're looking for somebody that has a national perspective. He's on Newsmax on a regular basis. He has his show on Newsmax. He has his podcast. He's talking to commentators and elected officials all across the nation on a regular basis, but he lives here in Texas. He cares about Texas. He cares about the future of where our state's going. And he's now coming to you on a regular basis through a podcast hosted here at Texas Scorecard. So if you haven't listened to the Salcedo Storm, I would encourage you to go there. 
follow along, see the kind of content it is. It's different than what I'm giving you. Okay. So you will, you could listen to the Salcedo Storm and listen to Luke Messiah show and you'd be getting different information from a different perspective. But of course, both of us are very conservative Texans who care about the future of our state. So if you haven't checked that out yet, please go and check it out. Also, Texas Monthly. You don't have to check this out, but you could, especially if you want some entertainment. Texas Monthly issued their most recent best and worst list. And this is what they do every single session. They say, here are the best legislators and here are the worst legislators. It's always entertaining because the people they think are the best legislators are literally the worst. And the people they think are the worst are usually some of them are actually the best. Now, some of the people they say are worst are not necessarily good people, but they actually have to have a list bigger than one or two or three people. One of the people that they gave the worst legislator award to was Representative Tony Tinderholt. And the funny thing is, you know, everyone saw this coming, but I love the write-up that they gave. So I'm going to just read some excerpts from their write-up. Why did Texas Monthly, this liberal publication, say Tony Tinderholt is one of the worst legislators? Let's see what they had to say. Tinderholt has been prone to paranoid outbursts since his first election in 2014, during which he insisted the armed resistance was the only thing that would stop a migrant infiltration at the border. Now, by the way, since Tony Tinderholt got elected, we have had millions of people cross the border, but you know, oh well, what does Tony Tinderholt know? His constituents in Arlington area deserve better. So it was heartening in the 2021 session to see Tinderholt maturing, playing well with others, cracking jokes on the floor, making valuable contributions to debates. This is what the left does. They try to basically say, hey, remember when we looked at you and you were kind of seemingly doing things that all the other Austin Swamp creatures do? We want to always positively talk about you in that way, which is why when we get to the work, the best list, they highlight people like Lacey Hole and other liberal Republicans. Here's what I think was really funny. This year, it all went wrong. He could have continued to evolve and shoulder more responsibilities like his one-time ally, Briscoe Kane. Instead, he made himself a menace from the first days of the session. Now, last week, we literally talked to you about the fact that, I don't know, there's almost 50 bills that I came up with in a day that the Texas House of Representatives killed. And by the way, I've had people email me and text me, this bill, this bill, this bill, this bill. I mean, it was very clear that if I'd actually spent two days and texted a few more people, I'd have had a list of 75, 80, 90, 100 bills that were conservative bills that the Texas House killed. Tony Tinderholt knew that. And he came into this session ready to go to war for our conservative values. And Texas Monthly and other liberals recognize it. And they literally are going, come on, Tony, can you just be like Briscoe Kane? What, what do they mean by that? What, why are they saying Briscoe Kane? The reason is because you have to understand that the, the Austin, the insiders in Austin that are killing all these conservative policies, they don't mind if you're privately conservative, okay? They don't mind if you vote, just click the right button. And if you go and meet privately in the caucus and talk to other members and say, I want more conservative stuff, okay? As long as you don't publicly take these stands on all these conservative policies, as long as you don't call other Republicans out for killing all these bills, if you're just part of the system and are the conservative part of the system, then we'll laud and applaud you. 
We'll even tell people like Tony Gingerholt, couldn't you be like this guy? Couldn't you be a little bit more like this guy? It'd be so much better, Tony, than you wouldn't be on this liberal magazine's worst list. I, for one, am very grateful that Tony Tinderholt decided not to just be like one other conservative member who wants to look most days like most everybody else, just vote a little better. We don't need more legislators that just vote better. Did you know that the conservative policy that died, I talked to you about this last week, all the conservative bills that died, they died because they weren't voted on. If they had been voted on, on the House floor, that whole list I went through yesterday, would any of them failed? Would any of them have failed a vote on the House floor? No. The Ten Commandments, the other ESG legislation, the detransitioner protections, the one that said, hey, libraries, if you're going to host this sick, gross, perverted drag queen performance, even if it's not a sexual performance, like you don't get any taxpayer money, would any of those bills failed? No. So see, what they were lacking was not enough legislators willing to vote the right way. What they were lacking was enough legislators willing to fight really, really hard to make the Texas House of Representatives pass them, even though they didn't. One legislator that Texas Monthly highlighted as one of the best is Justin Holland. And this gets us to our next segment of the show. So, of course, Texas Monthly loves Justin Holland because he tried to pass gun control legislation. He killed conservative gun legislation in his role that he was put in by Dade Phelan on a committee specifically designed to kind of pass gun control legislation and kill good gun laws. But Justin Holland went a step further last week after being on the best list. Maybe he got to his head. Maybe he got on the best list and got really excited. So he decided, hey, let's go to open war with the Republican Party of Texas. And this is what he tweeted. Nobody, brackets, in real Texas politics, I guess there's a fake Texas politics, nobody in, in real Texas politics cares about the SREC or its chair, the State Republican Executive Committee. You could also interpret this as just nobody in Texas politics cares about the Republican Party of Texas. That's what he's saying. The, the board of the Republican Party and the chairman of the Republican Party. It's a defunct organization and needs a total rehaul from the top down. Local parties are AWOL. It's a mess. The good news is that they are all irrelevant and have no local or state respect. We can win without them. This is what Justin Holland thinks. This is his approach. Now, this tweet got a lot of traction amongst grassroots Texans who all said, hey, thank you, Representative Holland, for giving us a window into how the Texas House of Representatives thinks about us. And if you want a window into how they feel, this is how they feel. Why do you think in one day I could come up with almost 50 bills that they killed? You want to know why? Because they despise you. They can't stand you. Jared Patterson took it another step. And I think both of these comments kind of intertwine into what the legislature wants from the party. He said, so Erin Anderson with Texas Court Card, a reporter here, she tweeted out about the state Republican Executive Committee adopting a resolution condemning the Texas House impeachment of Attorney General Ken Paxton. Now, by the way, only 11 SR, I think the vote was like 53 to 11, okay? So 53 of, uh, of the SREC members and the chair and the vice chair all voted 
to say we're condemning the impeachment of Ken Paxson that was conducted in the Texas House of Representatives. I've already talked about that. If you want to go a couple episodes back, you can see what I had to say. The important thing is that the reporting is simply saying, hey, all the SREC, the Republican Party of Texas, they don't like the impeachment of Ken Paxton. By the way, all these precinct chairs, Collin County unanimously passed opposition to the impeachment of Ken Paxton, even though the Republican elected, all the state representatives put out a joint statement trying to lock arms, kind of like, you can't come for all of us. All of us think Ken Paxton should be impeached. And you know what the precinct chair said? Every single one of us think he shouldn't be impeached. Tarrant County passed a resolution with only a couple no votes. Parker County passed a resolution, even though Glenn Rogers sent in this long letter explaining why he voted to impeach Ken Paxton. So while the Republican Party of Texas is taking a position against the impeachment of Ken Paxton, here's what Jared Patterson tweets out. He says, dang, does this mean the state party won't spend the zero dollars helping Republican House members win elections like they've done in the past? Now, not only is that statement demonstrably false, Here's the funny thing of what it portrays. What is Jared Patterson's communication to the grassroots? Hey, I know you have all these conservative policies that we killed. I know we killed dozens of bills that would help detransitioners, that would secure the border, that would protect kids from getting indoctrinated in schools, that would stop teachers from grooming kids and talking about sexual identity and, and gender identity and sexual orientation and all this stuff. I know we killed this long list of policy, but guess what? You didn't pay us enough. You didn't give us any money. So be grateful for what we gave you. So while Justin Holland says, these guys are AWOL, Jared Patterson saying, hey, you got what you paid for. If you want us to do more, give us some more money. They can't stand the Republican Party of Texas because the Republican Party of Texas under Chairman Matt Rinaldi is not a cheerleading squad for elected officials. And that's what they want. They want a party that just cheerleads for them. They want a party that just says, hey, these guys are awesome. And then they want a party that goes out and raises money and then just gives it to them, whether they need it or not. Because you know what? They see themselves as above you. They're the elites. They're the powerful ones. They're the ones with the seat at the table. You're there to just kind of speak into it and then they will decide what to do. And you better be grateful for what they do. Because by the way, you didn't give them as much money as all the lobby. So what are you complaining about? Justin Holland does have at least one primary opponent named Dennis London. This man ran last time and is running again. Rockwall County Young Republican Club. They literally already announced that they're hosting Matt Rinaldi to come speak at their next meeting. I've heard a lot of rumors about other people potentially running as well. The point is that the grassroots are very focused and they're tired of all of these politicians who continue to just pay lip service to them. They can't stand us. They can't stand you. They're frustrated that even though they passed a handful of good conservative policy, you're not content. You didn't give them enough money and you're expecting too much of them. That's the overall feel from the elected class. Now, I will tell you, just to let you know, there are two state representatives who came out with counter 
statements to Justin Hollins. And I think it's worth at least recognizing this. Representative Brian Harrison first said, a new generation of fearless, liberty-loving conservatives willing to stand up for the freedom and the next generation are needed in every level of government. Going along to get along only serves the interests of selfish politicians harming those they serve. I think that's a very clear and articulate position to take. Representative Tinderholt said, it's sad to see politicians attack the Texas GOP which did more to advance GOP policy than I've ever seen in any session. Our state party is a model for the nation, and that is why liberal Republicans are attacking them. I, for one, am grateful for the grassroots. Brian Harrison also sent out a separate tweet that was specifically thanking the local Republicans in his area, saying, I'm proud to stand with those uh, top-down Texas GOP activists, the GOP Ellis County GOP, which is his largest county there in his district. And so, again, you at least had some conservatives coming out, basically countering the attacks of Jared Patterson and Justin Holland, showing the grassroots, like, there are some of us that actually care about you. There are some of us who actually want to work with you. And that's what we need. I know so many of you are very frustrated at this moment in time. And you know what? I'm with you. I'm pretty frustrated myself. But I'm also very encouraged. The reason these politicians are lashing out is because they went home and they tried to sell what they did and no one's buying it. And they're really ticked off. They're ticked off that they're realizing that their only way to maintain their power is to raise an ungodly amount of money and lie to their voters for nine months. Now, by the way, statistically speaking, most of them should keep their jobs. Even if a lot of people run against them, even if money is spent against them, the vast majority of them should come back to Austin because that's how it works once you're in there. But see, they, they want the waters to be calmer and they're upset because all of you who are out there educating your friends, telling people what's going on, sending our podcast to people, the show we put out, the 48 bills that the Texas House killed, I mean, it it went really well. And I was on email chains of other people emailing it out to their lists. I was getting texts. I got way more emails than normal. A lot of replies back to our email blast than we we normally get. We get good feedback and I really appreciate all of you who email back. I have gotten, I think, a lot better at responding to emails as they come in and things like that. But the reality is that over the last week, it has been overwhelming the amount of information that has come in from people. It's very clear that y'all are doing the work needed to make sure that more and more Texans are educated. And I'll tell you, the incumbent Republicans that are back home are really sick and tired of the work you're doing. So they're lashing out. They're lashing out at their own party, the Republican Party of Texas. By the way, that's also something you should rejoice in. These guys aren't just lashing out at one local conservative group, which by the way, if you're part of a local conservative group, I've told you, you should be. Those are really powerful. Be part of them and grow them and make them even more powerful. But their problem is that the same things that the local conservative group are saying is the same thing that the Republican Party of Texas is saying. So now they just have to attack the entire party. That's a victory. That's a testimony to the work that the grassroots have done to continue to grow our support within the GOP. And we're not gonna stop. If you haven't been a delegate at a state convention, do it. Go to your precinct convention, go to your county convention, go to the state convention, be part of the 10 to 15,000 Republicans that come together and are actually part of making this party even more conservative. Because while the Texas House doesn't know what time it is, the Texas GOP does. 
May God bless you. And may God bless the great state of Texas. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. To find out more information about what's going on here in Texas, visit texasscorecard.com.